Alright, welcome in guys, Farzine Vesugian here with you on a Wednesday. Hope you're all having a great hump day. It's the middle of October, or we're beyond the middle of October now. Now we're getting closer to late October. Alright, uh, it's that time of year again. We are also broadcasting this live on the Facebook page, so for those of you who are listening to the podcast version, bear with me. Usually at the beginning of these uh, podcasts, I just want to make sure we're good and ready to go. And of course, off to a slow start with the Wi-Fi. There we go. Yeah, it looks like a lot of people are watching right now. So we are good on that front. All right. Welcome in, guys. Appreciate you guys joining us. See a lot of you guys watching on the live stream on the uh, Facebook page. So if you guys haven't, Please give this live stream a like and also follow along on on the Facebook page and share the live stream. All right. Okay, let's get right into it. A lot of things to get into here on this episode. Week 6 NFL reactions. A lot of things taking place this week. The Chiefs and the Bills had a big matchup. The Eagles and the Cowboys also had a big matchup. Tom Brady catching a lot of attention again. For his sideline antics and a lot more going on this in the last seven days with Brady. Some talks about the NCAA going to 128 teams. At least there's one college basketball coach that wants that to happen. And also I'll give my thoughts on UFC 280. That is taking place this week. So I am very excited about that. Alrighty, we got a couple comments Asking if uh, we're getting OBJ. Uh, I'll get into that in just a moment. Yeah, every comment right now in this live stream is about OBJ. I probably answered this a hundred times. Um, what my thoughts are, are on OBJ, whether the Chiefs are getting him. I'll get into that in just a moment. Real quickly, uh, if you guys haven't already, facebook.com slash Farzim Vesugian. That is the Facebook page. Give the page a follow if you haven't already. Also follow me on Twitter at farzine 21 and make sure you guys are following me on Instagram as well. We are going to start uh, going back to uh, giveaways this uh, this week. As soon as either tomorrow, Thursday, or on Friday. So make sure you guys are following the page. And also follow me on Instagram and Twitter if you haven't already. Because we are going to be going back to uh, that real soon. Took a break from it last week. I know I said we'd be going back to it next week, but we actually got some uh, new, uh, some some new cool uh, prizes to give away. So make sure you guys are following along, because uh, I don't want anyone to miss out on any of that. Also, uh, I am uh, starting up a new project very, very soon. Um, I'm actually going to be making a new uh, Facebook page for it and a new YouTube page as well. I know I don't post a, a whole lot on YouTube, uh, just certain uh, podcast archives. Um, it's actually not going to be really chiefs related, not going to be sports related at all. Uh, so it's going to be a lot different. Uh, and I definitely want to, uh, make sure you guys don't miss out on that. If you, uh, if it entices you, I'm not going to say what it is now. Cause we're still working on putting all the, still put working on, on putting it all together. Let's just put it that way. So make sure you guys, uh, keep an eye out for that. We will be, uh, releasing that pretty soon. Very excited for that to, uh, uh get that going. As well, something I've been wanting to, to do for quite some time. I've been kind of learning the uh, the setup and all that for that. So, um, and some of you guys have uh, asked if I would ever consider doing something like this. So that'll be coming out real soon. Uh, Cody says I heard Odell was spotted in KC at the Cheesecake Factory. I have a source just saying, yeah, Cody. 
My sources tell me that Odell Beckham Jr. was spotted at Bannister Mall. He was there this afternoon. Shortly after that, he went to uh, the Great Mall, too. He compared the two malls in Kansas and Missouri. Uh, yeah, to, to address all these questions about Odell Beckham Jr., I, I, listen, I'm not going to say anything different. I, I'll say the same thing over and over. Um, I don't know where he is injury-wise. We are getting ready for week seven of, of the NFL season, and he's still available. Apparently, he's not going to sign. I saw Matt Verderamy of Fansided say that uh, his sources told him that uh, he's not expected to sign until after the trade deadline, which I can completely understand. Uh, there are probably teams that are maybe that, that tells me that teams are maybe looking elsewhere because maybe they're not a hundred percent confident in Odell Beckham Jr. joining midseason. Here's the thing, man. Um, if you're getting a pass catcher who has not played, or, and, and let me take that back. N- not, not played is not the right word. The guy has not taken any reps with any team this, uh, this entire season, off season and season. Um, I'm sure he's been training. I'm sure he's been working out. But I just don't know. Yeah, Donnie, I know Bannister Mall was torn down, man. It was a joke. For those who, by the way, listening, who are not from Kansas City or don't live in Kansas City, who don't get the joke I, I, I was saying, both Bannister Mall and the Great Mall are gone. They are long. Is the Great Mall... I know Bannister Mall's torn down. Is the Great Mall still... Maybe they have one portion, kind of like the Metcalf 95 Mall. They still have that one portion still there. Um, that area, I mean, they've got an Andy's, a Chick-fil-A, I, I mean, all kinds of things that I did not know, know were even there. Um, but yeah, that was a joke. Uh, those two malls don't even exist anymore. Uh, but, but the whole thing with o- OBJ, he's a great wide receiver. No one is doubting what he's capable of doing, but right this moment, you know, coming off that surgery, Late in the year, I mean, is this really the best time to sign him? Is where is he? Um, is he a hundred percent? I don't know, not a hundred percent sure about that. So, this all this talk about OBJ coming to Kansas City, I don't know. Um, I know that's what a lot of people in the media have been suggesting as a potential full-time replacement for Tyreek Hill. But here's my thing. The guy's not taking any reps this entire season. So if he does come in, what would people expect from him realistically? What would anyone, what does anyone think OBJ can offer at this point in the season? Because when Josh Gordon came to Kansas City, he got off to a really slow start and people wondered, okay, could this be him, you know, maybe not picking up the offense right away. Maybe he needs time or a full offseason. Well, then we saw the guy just wasn't as good as many of us hoped he could be again. So I don't know exactly if you do sign OBJ, whether he goes to the Chiefs or another team, what would he bring to the table? Yeah, Brian, I agree. He would have a lot to learn this late in the season. And it's not that he is completely incapable of picking it up, but picking it up as the season's going along, I mean, you just have so much to learn midseason. I heard um, I heard uh, Packers fans calling for Aaron Rodgers to be traded. Imagine this. And I know Aaron Rodgers has not had the most perfect season. I've talked about this before. Um, but someone mentioned trade Aaron Rodgers for Ryan Tannehill. And let's see what Tannehill can do the rest of the season. Well, first of all, Tannehill 
would have to learn a brand new offense midseason. So if you think you're going to trade for a quarterback, a quarterback for a quarterback trade midseason, the quarterback that you're getting is going to have to learn a brand new offense. And so he's not going to be inactive for a couple of games, number one. Number two, then when he starts playing games, it's going to feel like a preseason game because that quarterback has to get used to the guys he has not played with before. So, you know, all these people, uh, you know, wanting a new quarterback midseason or, you know, I, I know Odell Beckham Jr. is not a quarterback, but, y you know, I just don't know, number one, where is he with his recovery? Number two, how quickly can you pick up an offense? That, to me, is the one that that would really concern me the most. Yeah, I do agree, Brian. It's weird how they hate on Rodgers. I mean, he's just uh, he's having an offseason. Uh, I thought he would have been just fine, but no, it's definitely um, making an impact. Uh, Tony says, do people still think you're a journalist? Uh, probably. I don't know. Um, depends how stupid they are. All right, uh, let's get right into it because I know I've been answering some of you guys' question in the chat. We'll continue to answer more as the uh, podcast goes along. Uh, okay, let's talk about this Chiefs-Bills game. Here's what it came down to. The Bills simply made fewer mistakes in this one. And the Chiefs should have capitalized. The Chiefs should have won this game because the Bills made the first mistake in this one where they had that pitch that turned into a fumble. Now, the Chiefs, unfortunately, they pretty much equated that by throwing an interception late in that one. They actually had a touchdown pass to MVS, but the problem is uh, Creed Humphrey was uh, the ineligible man downfield. It's actually the second time he's had that penalty th this year, so that kind of surprises me. I know it's a little bit tough on that uh, on that front there, but uh, you don't really know exactly when the ball's thrown. You're reacting to the defense's reactions, um, but Creed Humphrey is certainly better than that. Uh, at the same time, you know, the interception Mahomes did throw on that drive, he threw it into double coverage. I know I've seen some people say, well, MVS is 6'4", he needs to come down with that. Okay, tell that to the quarterback throwing it into double coverage. Um, sure, you may be a tall receiver, but ultimately that doesn't mean much when you're dealing with double coverage. Uh, would it have been the number one play on ESPN's top 10 plays? Probably, maybe, I don't know. Um... But I think it's one of those situations where, you know, the Bills made a mistake and the Chiefs had a great shot at striking uh, first, and they didn't. Um, it also doesn't help that Harrison Butker, I mean, he made the record, uh, franchise record long field goal, breaking the franchise record from six days prior that Matthew Wright had, which, by the way, kind of goes to my point. Matthew Wright and Harrison Bucker both made franchise long field goals, but then they missed field goals short of that. I don't understand. Like, how is it that our kicking is this inconsistent? Um, I mean, Amendola was bad. Wright was inconsistent. And now we've got Harrison Bucker, who's, you know, inconsistent as well. I'm glad he's back. Don't get me wrong. I'd rather have him than anyone else right now. But the inconsistency there hurt as well. The bottom line is this. The Buffalo Bills made fewer mistakes in that football game. That is why they won. And one concern I would have with Patrick Mahomes, and don't get me wrong, I still would ride with Patrick Mahomes any day of the week, but the thing with Mahomes is this. He's, he's known to finish games strong, come back strong, especially with the game on the line. 
But twice this year, in the, in the two games the Chiefs have lost the first six weeks, he, with the game on the line, Mahomes threw a, 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 an interception to uh, finish the game. You can't do that. Uh, certainly when the expectations are much higher. I know you don't have Tyreek Hill, but you still have a fairly good offense. Now, I will say this. Chiefs are still fine, but my optimism on them winning the Super Bowl is going down a little bit for one reason only. The Chiefs just don't have a strong presence at the offensive tackle position. I know ESPN projected the Chiefs to have the number one offensive line for 2022. They might have the best interior offensive line, and I know some people were asking about Joe Tooney. He's right now, uh, he didn't practice uh, today, so we'll see what he does the rest of the week. But with your offensive tackles, Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley, I, I have no, I have no optimism that the Chiefs are going to go back to a Super Bowl if those two guys are your offensive tackles right now. I had a lot of high hopes for Orlando Brown Jr., especially with all the talk about him trying to lose weight, get into better shape. Um, I love hearing stories like that. I mean, obviously that show is that he knows he needs to play better, but he just has not been playing better this year. I, I, I'm not really big on the OBJ uh, situation anymore. The fact that the Chiefs were willing to even pay him, maybe not top dollar at that position, but damn near close to it, kind of upsets me. Um, why are you wanting to pay him that much money when he's not even a top 10 offensive tackle? Uh, this is one of those situations where I think, gosh, uh what what was Brett Veach thinking, uh, even offering him that kind of money? Uh, listen, I, I I think it was the right trade. The Chiefs did go out trying to do something, especially after Super Bowl Fifty Five. We know what happened in that game, but uh, you know you just got to accept the loss at some point. Um, sure, a lot can happen in the next. Uh, I mean, we, we're one third into the season, so still some season left to go. It's not early anymore, but I don't know if there's. Any expectation that Orlando Brown Jr. can improve the rest of the season? A Andrew Wiley, okay. I, I don't expect Andrew Wiley to be a great offensive tackle. I don't know where Lucas Niang is with his recovery. I really liked what I saw from Lucas Niang last year at the right tackle spot. I thought he was a great right tackle for the Chiefs. If you guys remember last year, the Chiefs had a rookie center, a rookie right guard in Trey Smith and in Creed Humphrey, and then they had Lucas Niang, who was also a rookie, because he opted out of the 2020 season due to the pandemic. So you had three really good rookies on that offensive line last year. And then, unfortunately, Niang dealt with some injuries, and I think the reason the Chiefs are still keeping him around is they see the potential in him. So I want to see what Lucas Niang can do. Maybe that'll improve the offensive line a little bit. You still have OBJ to deal with, which, you know, not the uh, most uh, exciting uh, situation there. But I think you got to, I mean, you got to at least uh, hope that Niang comes back and can maybe improve on that position. Because if Andrew Wiley and OBJ are your offensive tackles going into the playoffs, okay, look, you might win one playoff game, maybe two. You might reach the AFC title game again. But I don't know if you're going any further than that, especially if you're going to play the Bills again, who are one of the best pass rushing teams in the NFL. Watch this Sunday's game. So, listen, I'll be honest. I don't know what to expect from the Chiefs in this one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, p I'll probably pick them to win, but I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't think it's going to be a, an easy game. Uh, in fact, I would not put it past San Francisco beating the Chiefs on Sunday for one reason only. The 49ers are second in the NFL in sacks. That is a horrible 
thing to hear if you're a Chiefs fan because that is bad news for Patrick Mahomes with the offensive tackles he has right now. So my biggest concern with the Chiefs, those offensive tackles, yeah, they need some help off the cornerback position. The defense isn't terrible. I know I had an overreaction tweet, but the two-minute offense absolutely needs some work. Um, they've been terrible this year at it. Uh, but overall, with all the guys missing and all the rookies you have in the secondary, especially at the cornerback position, you allow 24 points. You allow the Bills to score 24 points. That is not bad at all. I would have taken that 100%. I, I, had, I had the Bills scoring 38 on Kansas City. So this, Bills, uh, this Chiefs defense... Not terrible. Still some room to, to improve. But man, this offense needs to score more than 20 points. When you've got a marquee matchup like that against the Bills, a high-powered offense that held to 24 points, any any defense that holds the Bills to 24 points, call yourself a good defense, man. I, I would consider that a good day. I know that's 24 points generally is not a good thing to give up. But against a very high-powered offense like the Bills, I take that 100%. I take that. Uh, but right now, man, the chiefs, uh, those offensive tackles right now, I, I mean, they're the weakest link and you are as good as your weakest link right now. If your offensive line is not blocking for you, those tackle positions are very important, especially the blind side, which is where OBJ is. I don't know, man. I, I just don't know how far this chiefs team is going to go with two struggling offensive tackles. I just don't see it. Uh, in the books. Um, I'll try to be optimistic, but it's hard to feel that way with those two offensive tackles, for sure. Eagles remain unbeaten. I had the Cowboys winning that one. Uh, good on them, though. Nick Sirianni continues to do a great job in Philly this year. Uh, the job that Jalen Hurts has done, very good. Uh, I mean, the Eagles are up there. The Bills, Eagles, and Chiefs right now are the top three teams in a lot of people's books. I saw on ESPN's FBI, they've updated that a little bit. Those are their three uh, Super Bowl favorites, and I believe even on all the betting lines, those are the three new Super Bowl favorites uh, as well. Yeah, I, I agree, Rick. The Chiefs do need two new tackles this offseason. If my number one need for the Chiefs this offseason, left tackle followed by right tackle. I, I mean, that's just, you got to keep your franchise quarterback, uh, you got to keep his jersey clean. You got to keep him happy. So uh, that's my uh, that's my biggest concern with those uh, tackles. Uh you got to get two new ones this offseason, I think. Um, especially if Lucas Niang is still dealing with injuries. I, I'm holding out hope for him. You guys know me. I'm always going to be optimistic with this team, especially with the state they're in right now. This is the best team we've seen in franchise history. But um, you got to protect, protect the quarterback. We saw that in Super Bowl 55, plain and simple. Uh, actually, Elena, you, you just stole my thunder. I was about to go to my next point. The Eagles... Nick Sirianni having an amazing year. Brian Dable and the job he's doing with the with the Giants, amazing job. And in fact, the other New York team, the Jets, they're having a great year as well. I think Sirianni, Dable, and Salah right now are the three best uh, coaches uh, for the uh, are in the running for Coach of the Year. One hundred percent. Danny, you actually are. Uh, you talked about the Cowboys not having deck. This leads me to my next point. What is the obsession with Dak Prescott? I've never really... I thought he had a great rookie season. But after that, I, I just don't see the obsession with Dak. I don't get it. I really don't. I think Cooper Rush 
is a way better quarterback. And I think the Cowboys have a much better chance with him than Dak Prescott. I really do. Now, are you going to get to the playoffs with Dak Prescott? Okay, probably. But how far are you going to go with him? Because let's be honest, we know the standard in Dallas. It's always Super Bowl or bust. Because that is always the expectation from Cowboys fans. Is Dak Prescott really going to take you to a Super Bowl? Is he going to even give you a playoff win? He's 1-3 in in the playoffs. That's not very good. I just don't see the Cowboys being viewed as a Super Bowl favorite or any kind of threat to make it to the Super Bowl with, with Dak Prescott. Uh, listen, I like Dak's story. He's got an incredible story. Good guy. I mean, there's nothing but great things about him. No one has a bad thing to say about him personally, but I just don't know the upset. I, I, I don't see the obsession with Dak. I really don't. Brian says, isn't Dak coming back after their bye week? Uh, I, I mean, there's been some talks that he should be back in the next week or two. Rochelle says, Dak is probably looking at Cooper sideways because he is doing a good job. So, oh, 100%. Listen, I know at the end of the day, you know, when a starter gets hurt, they'll try to be supportive and all that good stuff just to be a good teammate and they don't want to cause a distraction or be labeled anything similar to that. But let's be honest, you know, if I'm a starter... And the backup, I get injured and the backup does well. I would not want to see that. I would hate that. 100% I would hate that. Uh, Greg says Dak is overrated and injured way too often. Rochelle says Dak. Oh, I just read Rochelle's comment. What's up, Charlene? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not big on Dak. I I think the Cowboys are much better off with, uh, with Cooper Rush. But we'll see what McCarthy wants to do there. Not I've seen. Uh, I see your comment. Trade Clyde Edwards-Helaire for popcorn. How much popcorn are you getting for him? Brian says Eagles will choke in the playoffs. Really? I think one thing that might work against the Eagles when it comes to the postseason is yeah, as good as they are right now, do a lot of the guys on the team have that playoff? experience because yeah sure you're great in the regular season that's one thing playoff experience does come into play there uh, it really does now we've seen it like last year Joe Burrow no problem damn you won a Super Bowl um and obviously we saw uh what the defense did they got an interception on the last snap of all their playoff games except for the Super Bowl they got an interception against who was it the Titans against the Raiders not in that order. The Raiders first. Derek Carr, in typical fashion, throws an interception with the game on the line. And then against the Titans, threw an interception. That was a weekend where every game came down to the wire. Chiefs-Bills capping it off with an incredible weekend. And then um, in the AFC Championship game, where uh, Mahomes threw that interception on the third play of overtime. So we saw the Bengals defense do some really good things. And then Joe Burrow did what he did. And they damn near came to winning the Super Bowl. But you don't see that often. You don't see young, inexperienced teams go far in the playoffs like that. So that's my biggest concern with the uh, with the Eagles. Uh, uh, and I, 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 can, I can echo that sentiment someone mentioned earlier. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I want to touch on this real quickly. The Broncos, okay? 
a lot of people, when the Broncos got uh, Nathaniel Hackett, he was viewed as a smart, offensive-minded coach. When they got Russell Wilson, a lot of people felt really good about the Broncos after that, and they talked about how the Broncos are now a complete football team. Even Some people even went... Rich, I remember watching... Uh, not watching, listening live on NFL's... Uh, uh, the, the Sirius XM NFL channel. Rich Gannon reacted to that instantly and said that the Broncos are an AFC contending team. Okay? You cannot sit here and tell me that the Broncos were a smart, offensive-minded coach and a quarterback away from being AFC contenders, and then when things are not going right, you blame everyone except for Russell Wilson. Because Russell Wilson was supposedly the final piece to the puzzle to helping the Broncos not only compete in this AFC West division, but now they are they went from being one of the worst teams to now competing in the AFC. So it doesn't work like that. You can't sit here and say that Russ is not the problem when he was supposedly the final fix to Denver's uh, Denver's issues. Uh, because here's the thing. With the game on the line, well, and it was a bad play call, but also a terrible decision on that Thursday night game against the Colts right before the end of regulation where you could have put the game away. Instead, you threw an interception giving the Colts new life. And then when with the game on the line in overtime, he completely misses an open receiver. I believe it was Jerry Judy. I can't remember who that was. Um, and then it gets the Chargers. I mean, you had all kinds of issues. Uh, listen, Denver's defense is good. Denver's defense is good. But your offense is not going to take you anywhere. They're just not. They're really not. Um, yeah, I've seen all these jokes, all these memes of uh, let's ride. I mean... You're not riding anywhere with Russell Wilson. I'm just saying that right now. People have compared uh, Drew Locke's first five or six games to Russell Wilson's first five or six games. It's not even close. I mean, Drew Locke was a far better quarterback in in those first uh, few games. Now, Drew Locke did not end up being the type of quarterback the Broncos wanted him to, to become. Obviously, why they traded him. But, man, I'm telling you what, and I'm not ready to you know, judge a trade in six weeks and say that the Seahawks won the trade. No, no. I, I think you got you got to give it a year or two. But it's not looking like a, a trade that a lot of people thought was going to give the Broncos uh, all this power to really compete in the AFC. I mean, they're not even competing in their division. The only thing they're competing with is with the Raiders to not be last place in the AFC West right now. The two teams that supposedly made the most improvement in the AFC West, the Raiders and the Broncos. I've gone over the Raiders many times, so I'm not going to get over uh, get onto it again. But the Broncos, man, this is a team that a lot of people thought were going to seriously improve. Um, and their offense just has not really... I mean, their offense is just not doing anything different. In fact, it's actually gotten worse. The defense is great. Pastor Tan's great. That that pass rush up front, very good. I mean, Denver's defense is great. I think a lot of people would love to trade their defense with Denver's defense. But the offense, you're not going anywhere with them. Unless your defense can hold, you know, other teams to three or six points. Good luck with that. It's just not a realistic thing, no matter how good your defense is. Um, Yeah, which Denver's defense is good. No question about it. Um, Your offense is just not going to take them... Very far. That's a problem there. Here's a team that nobody's talking about, by the way. At least I feel like nobody's talking about. 
Is anyone talking about the Minnesota Vikings? Because I don't think they are. I don't think the Minnesota Vikings are getting enough credit right now for what they're doing this season. I feel like the Packers struggling is getting more headlines than the Vikings thriving right now. They've got a 5-1 and one record at the moment, and they are prob- they've probably got one of the best receivers in the NFL right now. Justin Jefferson is not a guy a lot of people talk about much. He's having a hell of a season. And by the way, his name should be seriously in the conversation with best wide receiver. I think he's a tier one guy, along with Tyree Kill, Stephon Diggs, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams. I know I just mentioned things are going well for the Raiders as expected, but Adams is still a threat, not a guy you ever want to go up against. Uh, Dalvin Cook doing the same thing he's always been doing. Kirk Cousins has not been the most perfect season for him. Nine touchdowns, five picks on the year. Not terrible, but not great either. I know when he re-signed with the Vikings, a lot of Vikings fans were not thrilled about that. Uh, to be honest, if my team, if I was a Vikings fan and they resigned, uh, they resigned Kirk Cousins, I would not be thrilled about that either. So it is, um, it's very interesting situation. Their defense is good too. Uh, you look at Zadarius Smith, one of the best pass rushers this year, Harrison Smith, uh, the two Smiths on defense. Uh, he's also doing well. He's on pace to probably have the most interceptions he's ever had in a single season. Uh, longtime Viking. He's been in the league a long time. And uh, he's probably on his way to having the best season he's ever had as a, in, in his career, uh, all with the Vikings. So good to see there. I think the uh, the Vikings certainly are a very uh, underrated team right now. Well, not many people are talking about the Vikings. What's up, Robert? He says, I just joined. Did you already discuss what you think about the Kelsey restructure? We didn't really talk about the Kelsey restructure. I, I know that happened uh, on Saturday. It, it just got t- announced yesterday or the day before. I can't remember. Here's the thing. Um Kelsey even t- teased it on his podcast that something is is, is happening. Um, we'll see. I, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But the problem is, uh, you know, the, the Chiefs probably are not going to replace their offensive tackles this season. So no matter who they get, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be behind it. But in the back of my mind, I'll just always keep in mind, those offensive tackles right now are not doing really well for the Chiefs. Um, they're just not. So I'm not really sure what the Chiefs are going to do. It's it's They're not going to get a new offensive tackle right now. I I, I just don't see it. Um, the best available offensive tackle might be Eric Fisher, who obviously Chiefs fans are very familiar with. But um, at this point in time, there's a reason why he's still available. There's a reason why Odell Beckham Jr. is still available. So... Not 100% sure what the Chiefs are going to do with the uh, with the cap space they just freed up. They're obviously going to try and do something, which I can appreciate from Brett Veach. 100%. The thing I really appreciate about, about Brett Veach, in 2019, he went out and he got Stephen Wisniewski, Mike Pinnell, and Terrell Suggs. Okay? Those three guys, they were not, by all means, elite players, but they certainly made an impact in helping the Chiefs play better, especially on the defensive line. And that really helped them make a push for the Super Bowl and win eventually. Uh, The year after, 2020, brought back Steven Wisniewski when he got released by the Steelers, got Le'Veon Bell, and I think there was another move he made. I can't remember what it was. Now, those moves did not really pan out the way the Chiefs would have liked for him to pan out, especially the Le'Veon Bell one. But still, Brett Veach is going out there midseason making moves. So I trust that Brett Veach is going to do something. I don't know if it's going to be by trade or if he's going to go out and get a free agent. Maybe both. Um, maybe both. 
Uh, let me just quickly see what is the Chiefs draft capital for 2022 or 2023, I should say. Um, Chiefs now have uh, projected to have 12 draft picks for 2023. Okay, what are those draft picks? Round one, round two, round three, another round three. Uh, that's a comp pick. Round four, round four from the Ty Tyree Kill trade, five and a six. Another six from the Tyreek trade, a seven. Uh, another seven from the comp, uh, Jerron Reed, and then there's a Melvin Ingram comp pick that's coming. We just don't know exactly what it's going to be. Okay, I mean you can do some things now. I don't know. Uh, I've heard rumors that the Chiefs are going to try to keep that first round pick because the draft is in Kansas City and they don't want. Uh, to have this big event and not have a first round draft pick in their own in their own home. I mean, I, I, I can certainly understand that, but if you got to make a move, you got to make a move at the same time. So I don't know what Brett Veach can do with that draft capital. Uh, obviously, um, there are a lot more draft picks in the later rounds and the early rounds, whereas this past draft you had more draft picks in the early round. Well, well, yeah, draft picks. Uh, you had a lot of draft picks everywhere, early and late. So I don't really know uh, what exactly Brett Veach can do with this set of draft picks, but I suppose you can still do something with it. Brian says Chiefs need to stick with quick strike passes, pass plays. Um, yeah, Brian, I'm not opposed to that. It's just how well will that work? What's up, Cameron? Thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah, we'll see what the Chiefs will want to do with that. I, I trust Brett Veach is going to do something. Uh, this is not a guy who ever... Uh, who just sits around and does nothing. Uh, he's always been, he's probably been the most aggressive general manager midseason than any GM out there uh, this season. Yeah, we have to have that first-round draft pick. Yeah, yeah I, I agree, Natalie. Um, at the same time, you got to do what you got to do. Greg's asking what is up with Carl Loftus. Is he making any kind of an impact so far? He's at, he's batted down some passes. Uh, I think it was this past week, too. He and uh, it was this past week or the week before. I think it was the week before on Derek Carr. He uh, split a sack with, I think, uh, Frank Clark. Uh, he has not had the most perfect season. In fact, the Chiefs rookies in general have not been great. The best thing you might have seen from the rookies might be that 99-yard pick six from Jalen Watson. That's the best thing we've seen from the Chiefs rookies this year. I know McDuffie's been hurt. We'll see if he can make a difference. But yeah, the uh, the rookie draft class so far has been a little underwhelming. I would say Sky Moore has maybe had a better rookie campaign than Carl uh, Loftus. So still early. Well, uh, I mean, listen, Frank Clark got off to a slow start, and then he really rose in his first year. But even then, uh, he's been a little inconsistent. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I do want to get into Tom Brady. Because everyone is talking about Tom Brady's antics again. And this time it actually is a bigger deal because the, the, the Bucks lost to the Steelers. A rookie quarterback, mind you. So, here's my thing. A lot of people are talking about Tom Brady in the last seven days. The tablet tossing. Yelling at the offensive line. I mean, the tablet tossing was a couple weeks ago. Uh... You know, lashing out at players, doing it again this time with his offensive line, which, by the way, was funny because he actually looked right at the camera for a fraction of a second. He noticed the camera was on him. Uh, there was another thing that came up where a lot of people criticized Brady. There was an injured uh, Bucks player. He was he was seriously injured to the point where players all got on the field surrounding the player. Meanwhile, while the players are surrounding him, praying for him, all that stuff, Tom Brady is actually warming up on the field. 
Um, a lot of people took issue with that. Tom Brady also attended Robert Kraft's wedding on Saturday, which while doing that, he actually skipped the Bucks' walkthrough practice to attend Robert Kraft's wedding. Let me just say something right now. I am never going to be that guy that says whether or not someone should retire. It's not my place to say. I'm not, I'm not a coach. I'm not a excuse me. I'm not a scout. I'm not a GM. I'm not any of those things. Here's the, one of the most annoying things to me in sports. And maybe it's because I went to KU and I'm a KU fan. So I heard a lot. I heard this a lot. Uh, listen, I love my Jayhawks and I love KU, but it is incredibly annoying when KU fans think there's some scouting authority and they talk about whether a player needs another year before he moves on. Okay, listen, I get it. We're KU fans, okay? But can we please stop acting like scouts? I mean, when there are scouts and general managers truly believing that a certain player from KU will go top 10, who the hell is a KU fan? to all of a sudden pretend to be a scout and then say whether or not a player needs an extra year. Um, I, I hate when when uh, players talk about college players and whether or not they should um, stay or go. It, it's one of the most annoying things to me personally. So I'll never be that guy that says what a player should do, whether he should declare for the draft, come back another year, retire, any of those things. That's not my place to say. That's not anyone's place to say, really except for that player himself. I don't know what's going on in Tom Brady's life exactly. I know he and his wife hired divorce attorneys. That is all we've heard. So obviously there's some there's some personal issues he's dealing with. And if you think that's not impacting him, I mean, you've got to be a fool to think that, okay? My whole issue is this. Like, look, players are not robots. Yeah, sure, they're freak of nature athletes. If... We suffer the same injury they do. They're going to recover a lot faster because they're physically just bigger and better than us. But if you guys remember, Super Bowl 55, I've already alluded to this on this podcast. Do you really think Andy Reid was in the right state of mind? No. His son was involved in a very serious car accident. And that absolutely played a role in his ability to coach to what he's capable of. So, of course, that had an impact. Of course, the things Tom Brady is dealing with in his personal life have an impact this year. So, what's going on with Tom Brady in his personal life? I have no idea. If he wants to play football, more power to you. If that impacts your marriage, look, man, that's a decision you got to make and you got to live with. He chose to come back. Why? I don't know. The guy's got seven rings. Could have easily walked out many occasions on top. Still wants to play. You do you. Um, Listen, we've heard many times since 2014. In fact, 2014 and 2017 were the two big years where the Patriots got off to terribly slow starts. And everyone, including their own fan base, by the way. I know that I know. Patriots fans like to play this big victim card of, oh, bet against us now. Well, Patriots fans were already writing off Brady. I was listening to uh, local talk radio in Boston, 
uh, if you remember, if you remember the Chiefs when they destroyed the Patriots and they broke the noise record on Monday Night Football. I mean, every single sports talk radio host in Boston was writing off Brady, also writing off Belichick. So there are a lot of people out there, even in New England, that wrote off Brady. But Brady's come back many times, and he's still won championships. He's won seven up to this point. He got off to a slow start with Tampa Bay in his first year, ended up with a Super Bowl ring. So love him or hate him, the guy's found ways many times to bounce back and win. Win it all at the end. This year is a lot different because with everything he's dealing with personally, the way he's reacting on the sidelines, the way he's lashing out at players, teammates, and then this whole thing with Robert Kraft's wedding. Look, um, players have lives, okay? I saw McCole Hardman get killed on Twitter because he wanted another popular video gamer to follow him back. And I guess he does some Twitch streaming when he's not busy. And supposedly that's impacting his play this year. I mean, come on. Um, I remember uh, there was a video that came out on Instagram. Brittany, Patrick, and a few Chiefs players were out and about with their girlfriends, wives, hanging out at a bar. And a lot of people were criticizing Patrick. Oh, no, our franchise quarterback is out drinking. So what? He's over 21. He's allowed to go out and have a drink. And it was probably on a Monday night or a Tuesday, which, by the way, I know that's not the most ideal time to go out for a drink. But if you're an NFL player, a Monday night is essentially a Friday night for them. Okay, I don't know if a lot of people know this. Tuesdays, a lot of teams are off. The only thing players do on Tuesdays is usually charity work. Because uh, that is an off day for NFL players on Tuesday. If you're playing a Monday night football game or a Thursday night game, then you are uh, scheduled to practice and be at your um, facilities and whatnot. But if you have a Sunday game, teams are off Tuesdays. That's just plain and simple. So if a player goes out Monday night for a drink, you're great. Go go have your fun. Um. Now, skipping a walkthrough practice, and I know it's just a walkthrough practice, but let's be honest, if we're going to be all in and if the goal is to win, I would assume every team's goal is to win, right? I'm saying that sarcastically. I think you need to be all in at all times. Skipping a walkthrough practice, I don't care who you are. Um, if I was a player on that team, I would question that. Why And I know uh, Bruce Arians uh, was trying to refute any kind of idea that Brady's getting special treatment. Folks, he skipped a walkthrough practice to attend Robert Kraft's wedding. Okay? <laughs> Brian says, what gift do, do you give a billionaire for his wedding? I don't know. What gift do you give? Um, at that point, I think it's just, hey, show up. Don't buy anything for me. I mean... I, I know there have been celebrities who have bought other celebrity friends like Lamborghinis and shit like that. Uh, imagine that lifestyle. <laughs> um, I mean, there are athletes who don't make much and they would kill to just give their mom or their dad something like that with all they've given up. Um, a house even. I mean, that kind of thing. So, But look, uh, this whole thing with Brady. 
I don't know what the end game is going to be for the Bucks this season. They're sure as hell not going to any Super Bowl, okay? They're not. I don't know what idea people still have that they're a Super Bowl contending team. They're not. This offense has been horrific this season. They only put up 31 points on the Chiefs because the Chiefs were up by two or three possessions for most of the game. So they got some garbage time touchdowns as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, I Listen, here's my thing. I don't know how many of you guys remember the whole Simone Biles situation. Simone Biles opted out of some of the competitions because she had been dealing with a lot in her personal life leading up to that point. Now, of course, she doesn't want to sacrifice, give up her spot on the Olympic team. Who would do that? The Olympics only come one, once every four years. Teresa says a credit card to a massage parlor. Well, suppose that's a possibility. <laughs> um, but if you guys remember Simone Biles, she opted out, out of a couple of competitions because she did not feel mentally she was in the right state of mind. A lot of people bash her for that. Me, I was right here saying good on her. If you are mentally not in the right state of mind and you think that is going to make a negative impact on your team, good. Opt out. Do what you need to do. Brady, I don't know what state of mind he is in right now with everything he's dealing with and all the criticism he's getting. You know, I mean, he, this guy's under a microscope right now. I'm obviously dealing with his personal life. If I'm a player on that team and Tom Brady's personal life is in my way of success and the rest of my teammates' way of success, I would have a major issue with it. I would want this guy off the team or Take a leave of absence, whatever you need to do, and address all that shit. Because listen, I don't care if these guys are millionaires and big-time celebrity athletes. They're human beings just like us. I obviously mentioned the example with uh, Andy Reid in Super Bowl 55. That guy was not in the right state of mind for that game, okay? He just wasn't. Anyone who thinks he was is a fool. Anyone who thinks Tom Brady is fully focused and is in the right state of mind this season, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Um, listen, as human beings, you know, whatever job you work at an office, at a bank, at a grocery store, whatever, or even if you uh, go to school, you might not be able to focus because of things you deal with personally on a day-to-day -day basis. I've had that before in the past. Everyone has. So everyone deals with that kind of thing. Um, that's not a bad thing. You know, you know, everyone deals with it. Tom Brady even said, Hey, he even said the word for word dealing with a lot of shit. He said that in one of his, uh, press conferences before the season, that's fine. But if you're still forcing yourself to play through all of it, well, that's just unfair to the rest of your teammates. That's something that I haven't not, I've not heard anyone mention that if Tom Brady's personal life is impacting the rest of the team, man, I got to tell you. That is honestly some of the most selfish shit I've ever heard. You cannot let your personal life have this kind of an impact, not just on yourself, but on the rest of the team. Because if that's the case, boy, what a wasted season for some of these guys' careers. The 2022 season is a big waste of time for a lot of these guys, which sucks because the Bucks do have the potential. But you got one, one guy who's great. But his personal life is now uh, holding the rest of the team, the team back. Just not fair. Just not fair at all. Okay, a couple other things. Uh, I want to get into this uh, Scott Drew story. He uh, was quoted, I guess, saying that he would like to see the NCAA expand the tournament to 128 teams. 
I've got two words for everyone. Hell no. In fact, put it back to 64. 68 is dumb and it makes no sense. The way they do the play-in games with the uh, the, the, the four 16-seeded teams, the two 12-seeded teams, and the two 11-seeded teams. I mean, what? That makes no sense. Why are two 11-seeded teams participating in a play-in uh, game? Makes no sense whatsoever. Absolutely no sense. If you guys remember in 2010, I believe it was, there was some serious consideration that the NCAA was going to expand the tournament from 64 to 96. And there was some talk back then that if you expand to 96, there's a possibility of some bad teams getting into the tournament. Now, think of the idea of 96 now being 128. You're going to have 128 teams in the tournament, you're going to have some really bad teams make it if that's the case. Yeah, it'd be cool to have some potential Cinderella stories. It'd be cool to see the um it'd be cool to see the UMKCs of the world make the tournament, I guess. Um that'd be cool, but seriously though, you do open up the door for some really bad teams to get in at that point. You really do. I I'm sorry. I know there are some college programs that would love this kind of an opportunity for their players. But it's just not, so, I mean, you would just really be killing the value of the NCAA tournament. Look at some of the play-in teams, okay? Uh, Texas Southern, they were a 16 play-in team. They were 18-12 and 12 on the season. This is a team that barely made it into the tournament. They won their playing game and got to play against KU and lost. They were 18-12 and 12 going into the tournament. Think of what kind of teams, uh, what kind of uh, records teams would have if we expand to 128, you're going to have some 500, even below 500 teams make it to the tournament at that point. Why are we trying to devalue the NCAA tournament? It already takes three weekends, and now you want it to take double the amount? You want it to take, what, six weeks? And listen, let me say this about the tournament. It's a, and listen, the Super Bowl is huge. Nothing can beat the Super Bowl. But in a weird way, the NCAA, NCAA tournament is actually more enticing than the Super Bowl because every damn person almost is doing a bracket. Even the person that hasn't watched a lick of college basketball will still do a bracket just for fun. They'll, they'll, they'll pick the mascots or their favorite colors or whatever it is um, and just have fun with it. People do it within their families or group of friends, work uh, offices, whatever. Um, everyone is doing a bracket. Uh, what you have with the tournament is perfect at 64. I, I, the 68 thing is stupid, but it, it's almost essentially the same. Why are we Why are we trying to fix something that's not broken? Not only is it not broken, it is in perfect condition. The NCAA tournament, the first 48 hours and then the 48 hours following that, some of the best Four days in sports. And it's all dominated by college basketball. It really is. I feel the NCAA would really hurt something good if they do this. They really would. Eddie says, why do you think the Chiefs freed up cap space to, uh, with Kelsey's? Uh, we already answered this, Eddie, but I mean, they're obviously going to do something. You don't do it just because you're bored. Uh, for sure, the Chiefs are going to do something with this. I trust Brett Veach to do something. Brett Veach, I mentioned this earlier on the podcast, he's always been aggressive uh, uh, midseason. He's got a lot of players to come here, so I'm sure he's going to do something. 
All right, Rochelle, appreciate you joining us. Brian says, what do you think about Colts owner calling out the commander's owner this week? Yeah, I did hear that from Jim Mersey saying that there's enough uh, to uh, vote out. There's enough merit to uh, vote out uh, Dan Snyder. And then the uh, commander's responded and said it was an irresponsible comment. I don't know. I mean, look, I'm not going to pretend like I, I know what's going on and what's not going on. It's one of those situations where we'll find out when we find out. Either Jim Ursay gets a last laugh on that one, or the Commanders and uh, Dan Snyder do. So, yeah, that's a, it's like a, it's almost like a reality TV show. He said, she said type of thing. Yeah, not a good look. Uh, real quickly, I want to touch on some uh, Big 12 football here. Uh, KU, obviously, they have had a very great Cinderella season up until the last two weeks, losing back-to-back games. They had uh, uh, college game day come in. That was such a huge deal. Even though they didn't win, you can't take away the experience of the whole college game day thing. I mean, that was a big deal because that had never happened in the history of KU football. It's happened many times during basketball season, never during football season. I guess you could say the game in at Arrowhead in Kansas City where KU and MU were playing, that epic game, remember that? Um, college game day did show up for that, but it wasn't a college environment. That was Kansas City we're talking about. So that was a little different. And they even had a flashback to that, which I, that was so cool that they even uh, showed that. Um, because I was thinking about that during uh, college game day where the last time they were even close to Lawrence was at Arrowhead. Um, but listen, KU, I don't think they're really in the running for the big 12. They are out of the top 25 right now. They did receive 12 votes. So it's not like they're, they're out of it. Uh, when it comes to being ranked it, it technically they're 30th, but they don't do a top 30. They only do a top 25. They got some votes is what I'm trying to say. Look, no one thought KU would still be here at this point. Okay. No one thought KU would be five and two, let alone win five games on the season. So. Finish the season strong if you're KU. Get to a bowl game. Not very hard to do when you've already got five wins. Even if you lose that bowl game in utter embarrassing fashion, it would still be a hell of a lot more than what anyone expected from KU this season. No one thought KU would even get close to this point. The Big 12 right now, I think, is a four-team race between TCU, K-State, Texas and Oklahoma State. In fact, I would even say Oklahoma State is better than Texas, but we'll see. I think it's going to come down to TCU and K-State. I like what Martinez has done over at K-State. A lot of fans were down on the team and down on Martinez after that loss to Tulane. If I'm not mistaken, I believe even Tulane even got some votes uh, uh, in the top 25. So, look, the job that uh, K-State's doing, I mean, that Tulane loss is a long-distant memory now. Uh and I will say that Sunflower Showdown, it's far, It's going to be a far bigger one than it's been in past years. Uh, KU has not beaten K-State in, what, since 2008? Yeah, a damn long time, 13, 14 years. Now, KU could still play spoiler and even prevent K-State from winning the Big 12. So that that's why the Sunflower Showdown is such a big deal. And I'm sure KU is going to play, try to play for some sort of a big bowl game down the stretch too. So it's going to be a very interesting second half of the season in the big 12. Um, you got some very good teams in the mix. I think, uh, you know, TCU and K state. I mean, those two teams are really going to try to vie for, um, for one of the four playoff spots, which I'm glad they're expanding it to eight next year. Um, I think four is way too few, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's going to be a fun second half. I think listen, I think KU is still going to compete and win some games. Just try to finish on a strong note. Try to finish on a strong note. Charlene 
said, how about the Jets and Giants cooking so far? Yeah, I mentioned earlier. I don't know if you uh, heard that, uh, Charlene, but I did mention that I think uh, Brian Dable and Robert Sala are for sure in the running for Coach of the Year. Uh, the two New York teams, what a what a year. What a year for them. Brian says, oh, sorry, we're cheering for the Wildcats. Oh, that's okay. I don't care. I mean, you're allowed to cheer for whoever you want to. Uh, okay, real quickly, going to touch on UFC 280. UFC has not done a pay-per-view in quite some time, six, seven weeks. It's been a while. This is a huge pay-per-view this weekend. If you're not a UFC fan, man, I encourage you guys to check it out because there's going to be some great fights this week. I'll tell you what, as someone who does follow the UFC, and I know the UFC is still a growing sport, I'll tell you right now, just to give you guys an idea about the UFC this weekend, there are a lot of great fights this weekend. Not only are there are they great and there's I mean I mean there are some great expectations from these fights. These fights are very hard to predict. The the four big fights I'm going to give you guys right now my predictions, there are some very difficult fights to predict. Uh which I'm going to give those to you right now real quickly and then we'll sign off Benil Daryush and I don't know how you say his name, Matisse Gamrot. Gamrot's been doing pretty good since he got into the UFC. Uh, has not really beat any big names. Jeremy Stevens, yeah, okay. Um, but Stevens was already on the decline. Uh, Benil Dariush, he's not a big name either because he just does not get talked about much. He's a very underrated fighter. Uh, he should be talked about more often, though. Uh, him and Islam Makhachev were supposed to fight. Didn't happen, uh, so the UFC wanted to move on because Makhachev, or excuse me, is, uh, uh, Benil Dariush was injured. Makhachev uh, is now moving on to fight uh, Charles Oliveira, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I'll get into that matchup shortly. What's up, Danny? Welcome back. We'll see what happens in that fight, but I am picking Benil Dariush to win. Uh, I mean, Benil is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai. Uh, Middle Easterns are usually. Experienced wrestlers, but Benil is not big on wrestling, which is weird. Um, oh, Eddie says uh, Charlie's going to KO Islam. I disagree, man. I disagree 100%, uh, which I'll get into that, that in a moment. I cannot get Charles. Uh, I've always doubted Oliveira, and I'll do it again. Um, I might eat my words again. We'll see. Uh, Peter Yan and Sean O'Malley. This is going to be a really good fight. O'Malley's still a rising star, and he's his one loss was against Marlon Vera. And he suffered a foot injury when that happened. So he's never really been like dominated by any fighter so far in his career. I mean, if you just look at this guy's Wikipedia or a sure dog page, the way he wins, the guy just dominates his opponents. Uh, 12 of his 15 wins have been finishes. Pyotr Jan, this guy might be the most well-rounded bantamweight fighter. And there are some very good bantamweight fighters. We'll get into more of those in a moment. But Pyotr Jan... This guy might be not just the most well-rounded, maybe the most tactical bantamweight in the division. Um, listen, I'm pulling for Sean O'Malley. I'm a huge Sean O'Malley fan. Uh, I love seeing him uh, do some YouTube uh, collaborations with um, with That Was Epic. Uh, I can't remember the, his name. Juan Gonzalez. Uh, he, he actually used to live in the Kansas City area. Uh, fun fact. But I got to go with Piotr Jan. I cannot pick against Piotr Jan. I just can't. Uh, Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw in the co-main event for the Bantamweight title. Uh, Dillashaw looking to be a three-time Bantamweight champion, I believe. That is not easy to do. And I know he's gone through a lot. Uh, obviously, he had to relinquish the belt because uh, he tested positive for EPO and suffered that lengthy suspension. 
Sterling, he still has that negative stigma because of the way he won the belt um, against Jan and then the way he uh, won in his title defense because uh, because Sterling, a lot of people felt like Jan won that fight. I disagree. I actually thought Sterling was the better fighter. Was a much different fighter the second time he fought Jan. That is for damn sure because Jan was dominating him the first time. Uh, listen, I've been a huge, huge fan of Aljo for quite some time. Dillashaw, damn good fighter. Um, I just don't know how he matches up against Aljo. I got to go with Aljo retaining. I think it's going to be a decision. It would not surprise me if it's a split decision. Listen, I said this about Jan, and I'll say this about Dillashaw as well. Dillashaw, he's, he's a very smart fighter. Probably out of all these bantamweights we're talking about tonight, might have the best IQ uh, out of the rest. Um, Dillashaw more tactical. Aljo is a more aggressive fighter. So we'll see how that pans out. I got to go with Aljo in this one, though. Eddie says, Jan needs to go in on the leg kicks. Yeah, I mean, that, that dude... Yeah. Listen, I would not want to go up against Piotr Jan. Um, whether it's his boxing or his wrestling, whatever this guy does, he's very good at. The leg kicks, I mean, yeah, you're 100%. He can dominate there. Uh, main event, Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhachev. Look, I picked um, Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. I, I've, been, I've been big fans of, of uh, Chandler and Gaethje way before they got into the UFC. Um, but I picked those guys to all beat Oliveira. And uh, I ate my words on that pretty badly because Oliveira finished all three of those fighters. Uh, listen, Chandler, I felt like dom was dominating Oliveira. The problem is Oliveira caught Chandler with that one hit, Chandler made one mistake, and that was enough for Oliveira to knock him out and retain the belt. By the way, Oliveira is not the champion because he did not meet um, weight requirements last fight. So he, no one's really the champion right now, but a lot of people are still viewing as Oliveira as the uh, as the reigning champion. So look, Islam Makhachev, my God. Um, for those of you who are not UFC fans, go look up. Islam, Islam Makhachev's last name might not be easy to spell. Just type Islam versus Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker, for those of you who don't know, he's an Australian fighter. This dude is a beast. Dan Hooker, that is. Islam Makhachev put Dan, Hook, Dan Hooker in probably the most brutal Kimura submissions I have ever seen. Thanks, Eddie. I appreciate it, man. Have a good one. Yeah, go check out Eddie's podcast. He does a Keyboard Warriors MMA podcast, so he'll have a lot more MMA commentary. Um, Islam Makhachev had the most gruesome Kimura submission I have ever seen. Dan Hooker could not use his hands to tap out. He was, his, his body was just completely stuck. The guy ha was verbally screaming in pain. He had to verbally tap out. Islam's 22 and one. I know Oliveira has uh, been the underdog at some times and has proven a lot of people wrong. He's an opportunist, man. You make one wrong move, he'll make you pay for it. You're screwed if you make a mistake against Oliveira. Just ask the other guys. But I think Islam Makhachev is going to be able to nullify all of that and come away with a finish in the second round. I say he's going to do it by submission. I am going with Islam Makhachev in this one. So those are my predictions for UFC 280. 
And that'll do it for this episode of FarzCast. I'm Farzy Vasugin. Big thank you to all of you who watch on the live stream on the Facebook page. Thank you guys all for watching, listening, commenting along during the live show. We'll try to do more of these live streams. For those of you listening to the podcast version, thank you to you guys as well. Listening on Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, wherever. Please be sure you share the links to the uh, to the podcast, whether it's a live stream, podcast links. Let your friends know about the podcast. Subscribe if you haven't done so already. Be sure you follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'll have the links below uh, on the uh, podcast description. Also, I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, so for those of you listening on the live stream a little late, I did mention I do have an upcoming project coming up. I'm going to actually be making a new Facebook page, also a new YouTube page. Uh, in fact, what I'm going to be doing is not sports-related at all, not Chiefs-related, not sports-related, none of those things. So it's going to be something completely different. We're still going to be doing all of this stuff here. That is not changing. But I am going to be doing some new stuff as well, and I hope you guys follow along and enjoy some of that content. I'm not going to reveal what it is right now, but I will later on. So uh, I definitely will need some followers and subscribers to that content to help me out. So your support would, would be greatly appreciated. I just want to give you guys a heads up on all of that. I will announce what that is, hopefully in the coming weeks. Um, soon. Soon. Let's leave it at that. Okay. I am Farzim Vasugan. Thank you guys so much for listening to Farscast. I am out. Have a good one.